Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hello, this is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. My guest for this episode is Christopher Renfro of The 280 Project in San Francisco. If you haven't had the pleasure to learn about what he's doing with wine in San Francisco, you're in for a treat. Christopher spent much of his childhood in Germany, which allows him a bit of an outsider's perspective on the culture of the United States that is refreshing and extremely relevant. We jump right in to discuss the foundational characteristics of the culture of the United States in relation to his story, his work to create what I refer to as a counterculture of compassion through wine, and his thoughts on our many deep connections to the land and disconnections from it. But as big as these ideas are, I really appreciate how Christopher is grounded in appreciation for the magic of being alive, breathing air, and eating food that we can grow from the earth. I love the inclusiveness of his vision and his desire to celebrate and embrace the many diverse people and cultures that make up our world. This excitement for the contribution that each different being can contribute to our lives is what I think of as the soul of biodiversity and a key to the shift of perspective needed to heal our culture and our climate. Enjoy. Christopher, welcome. Thanks for coming and doing this. Taking the time. Thank you too, Adam. This is awesome. Hey, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and maybe maybe the way in is to start with a big question just to get you rolling. So I, I so a, a, I, th- I think you know a little bit about what I'm doing, but we we have like a a little a little vineyard here in South Central Los Angeles that we call Crenshaw Crew that you know is our sort of estate vineyard for our winery, quote unquote, estate, and we just planted our, our backyard. Like we had 15 vines in the front yard and then we just planted like 23 vines in the backyard. And and to do that, I wanted to make it more of a, more of a community involvement thing. So I invited, you know, our friends and neighbors from the community and, and then, you know, a bunch of people from the LA wine scene, winemakers, you know, every, everybody I knew who was making wine here in Los Angeles and, and people who sell wine and distribute wine. Cause you know, and I say all that because the reason we did this, and it, and it turned out it was wonderful. People were coming, they were spreading cover crop seeds. We called it a pagan christening and groundbreaking for the backyard <laughs> vineyard. And uh, and it was fantastic. Like It was exceeded my hopes and dreams. And, you know, people had a blast. And, you know, we had, I, I was sharing wines that I'd made from the yard, from, from our apples, from our grapes, and then food that was made from the yard, from our chickens, you know, made some quiches and things like oh, that. Man. And, and so it was just, a, but it, like the best part about it was I started realizing, yeah, we're, we're throwing cover crop seeds. We're preparing the ground for all these connections that we want in the soil and soil biology is all about these connections that we are now learning are there in the microbiome in the soil. And, and then I realized, you know, there's this ecosystem that extends far beyond the bounds of our yard and includes this, these human cultures that, and the diversity of these people that are coming and connecting with each other and that was a big part of what we wanted and so what i've become convinced of sorry for this huge preamble to lead to this question but i've realized that if our context is biodiversity then our cultural diversity is is a part of that like the ecosystem of where we grow these things that we want to ferment is much larger than just the bounds of that vineyard or that property where they're growing or even that region, but they extend to like our Western culture. And to a certain extent, the crisis that we're in climate wise is really a reflection of our cultural crisis and the culture, the dominant culture that we've lived in 
for the last hundred years or more uh, that has led to the devastation of our environment. And we won't get out of that until we have a major cultural shift. And I see a lot of what you're doing as trying to make that cultural shift happen. I wonder if you could just talk about that and, you know, just expand, you know, talk about your own experience in that sense. Yeah, no, totally. Okay. So, um, jumping right in. It's, it's cool to be starting off with that question. Cause I mean, I think that does talk about my story and how this all got started and, but it's funny. It's like, I think going back to being a kid, like I always knew that I wanted to, I always loved being outside. I always loved playing with like animals that I'd find in the wild. I always loved like flipping rocks over. Um, I grew up as a black kid living in Germany for a very large time, like part of my life. So it was always easy for me to be able to like be able to be around other cultures and people that I didn't necessarily 100 like 100 understand but it showed me from a very early age that the differences between people are kind of like these man-made things that you know a kid and another kid that don't speak the same language can still play games they can still play in the same forest they can still swim in the same waters all that kind of stuff eat the same foods appreciate each other and um you know, my first memories were of going to Germany and like playing in hostels, but the hostels had farms attached to them. So when I smell like the smell of like Brett now, it reminds me of like the hostels that I would go to in Germany <laughs> and the barnyards. And, uh, and it was really interesting. It was like a, a cool feeling to like start off playing with kids of other cultures, being in like military family stuff. So all kinds of mixed kids, white kids, black kids. Latin kids just from all over the world and like uh, knowing that they were from all over the world and that they lived on either army bases. My family, we lived off the army base. So we lived um, in a German village, which was amazing. So I literally was like the one black kid running around everywhere, just doing my own thing, <laughs> getting lost in forests. And so, yeah, when it comes back to now and being in this industry of wine and restaurants, hospitality, it goes so deep and it's like this thing that I feel like the universe put me here and I was made for it because all of my family is from Louisiana. All of my family is from Virginia. And I start thinking about like slave ancestors, all this stuff where I'm like, man, like I have part of my ancestry I know is from Benin, Togo, uh, like Nigeria, uh, Ghana. So like thinking about like, you know, the documentary high on the hog and like rice and just agriculture in West Africa. But my father, I never met until I was 27 years old. I'm 38 years old now. So I've had like an 11 year relationship with my father, which means I missed out on this whole part of my like history on that side too. And um, I come to find that my father's side is the one that's from Virginia. But on my grandparents' side of Louisiana, um, the the slave relatives, Isaac Taylor and Anna Brutus, were originally purchased in Virginia also. So both sides of my family started in Virginia somehow. When yeah. Isaac Taylor and Anna Brutus were freed, they, were, they moved to Louisiana. So um, it's always been something that my grandparents have talked about. We've got this land. Or there's this land. And I always asked as a kid, because I was always interested being like, I know that white families have farms and do they, they have like 
cabins and stuff. And I was like, do we have any land? And like, I would ask as a kid and they'd be like, oh yeah, we got, we got like some acreage out there and, but nobody wants to use it or do anything with it. And coming like all the way back around, man, like living in this urban environment, struggling to try and get land, to try and be connected with agriculture, to be trying to get young black youth and people of color to be back into caring for the land, growing food on the land, eating this food. I come to find out that um, my father from Virginia was a sharecropper in this lifetime. Like my father used to pick cotton and tobacco and my family in Louisiana actually holds, uh, I think like six or seven acres on a bayou that produces, that has shrimp, that has, crabs that has deer hogs gators probably and like probably (laughs) oysters at some time and like no one's using it and like uh, talking to my grandmother about it talking to my my mother about it my mom told me like the most beautiful story about when she was little and her and my uncle would go into this store and it was on our family's land this this acreage in louisiana and it had like a corner store with gumballs and cookies and a glass jar And it was like this thriving little tiny black bayou community. And now there's nothing there. And my grandma wants me to take over it with my cousin. And I think about that as like what I'm doing in California. And how can I be in two places at once but caring about the earth the same way? Like, I'm like, wow, I do have this cool back to land like opportunity. But it doesn't really suit me right now because I have like this vision and this thing that I'm trying to accomplish for like, not just black people, my people, but all people. Like I feel that to like reclaim human decency and to get people back together, we really have to do like what you said, like invite everyone to come together from all different walks of life with the hope that we can really show people that we want to do something for everyone, showing them that we care, that this planet is very special, that we it's like a limited time offer if we don't take care of it well, you know, and it's like, we don't, we don't want that part. We want to be able to like teach our kids to, to care for it, to understand the indigenous cultures that were here before that have maybe been wiped out or still here, but like struggling to hold on, like realizing why it's so important for us to really understand about slave culture and what we've done in America, but bringing it to now, how can we use all that information to actually do something really good for society, for the world, for saving the planet. Because when I was a kid, we were already still talking about recycle, reduce, reuse and racial problems and economic despair. And, you know, there was food stamps when I was a kid. And I think about it, you know, growing up in Europe, I didn't see anything that would ever like make you feel like people were poor or there wasn't enough food. Because I grew up around farms everywhere, you know, I either saw poppies growing or food growing or pigs or cows. And and it's strange that, you know, like in America, even just in California, I think that's like one of the biggest agricultural places in the country. I don't, you don't see that much farmland besides going like down the five to LA where you live or going up Sonoma, Napa, when you start seeing vines, you know, but there's all this land that still exists that people hold even in the urban areas. And it's like, people don't know what to do with it. Kind of. I think that we've been separated from like who we actually are as a people and like the oral histories of our ancestors, our family members that are still alive. Like 
I talked to an old man literally like two weeks ago <clears throat> and he explained to me, like I literally was talking to him about his El Camino and he started talking for some reason about, he's noticed uh, I had a button on my shirt and he was like, Oh, grapes, huh? He's like, you like grapes? I was like, yeah, I work at this grocery store doing the wine buying. He's like, he's like, man, he's like, you want to know? He's like, this whole neighborhood, Twin Peaks and Diamond Heights, all used to be cows. He's like, all the people used to make their own wine in the city. They would all get it from Napa. They would get it from Sonoma. They would bring it all in and you could smell it when it would come in. You could smell the trucks. And he said that he would, I was like, did you ever grow grapes? He was like, no, but I would, I would help my grandfather crush them. And, you know, he would make this uh, Dago, Dago Red. And I was like, what's Dago Red? And he's like, it's what Italian people back then would just call red wine. And But it was really cool hearing this oral history from this old man. And it felt like same thing, like this universal transaction. Where I was just like, I'm on this journey with grapes and we don't even know each other. And somehow your story is grapes. And yeah. How cool would it be if young black people got to hear about old ladies growing collards and other things in their backyards and the foods they cooked? And, you know, because working at the farm, Alamany Farm, it's literally right next to the projects. And, like, I think for most people to understand, like, what housing projects are, like, in America, it is an area of uh, housing that usually may have, like, crime, violence, but just people that are a little bit down economically and what they call food deserts which is more like food apartheid uh places that have been strategically made to not have food around them so you know bad health all kinds of different things this farm is right next to this land and you know the way we got this property that we're using stewarding these uh vines at alamany farm was you know i went up to ted lemon's property and uh, that's when I was working at a restaurant, Liho Liho. And I don't know, it was, I was already into the wine because of the idea of like domains, chateaus, wanting to learn more about it. But like literally thinking like, man, I grew up in a place with castles. I don't see any black castles mm. in America. I don't see any black land holdings. Like no one talks about it. And, you know, I, I understood like great migration stuff, all this stuff, but same thing, you know, being a fan of George Washington Carver since I was a kid, my mom used to give me black history books. And like, he was the one that I would gravitate to, like always reading his stories. And even in a lot of those books, they still just talked about George Washington Carver as like the guy who did peanuts. And, right. but what I really like read in those was like a small bit of information about where it talked about him doing regenerative agriculture, biodynamic farming, basically type of ideas. And you know, it's taking mud from the swamps and all these things and, you know, conditioning a soil and feeding a soil. And uh, it, it's really interesting now being in this space right next to a community where I see the urban black people not having any connection with the most privileged part of the city. I feel like it literally is the most privileged part of the city because there's another park up the neighborhood, like up the street that has like slides and everything like if you can picture it, it's like the, the projects are to the right. The farm is in the middle. Then there is another public park that you can walk up a hill to that has soccer fields, slides, swings. So it's like it literally is farm to table. And, and the people there don't necessarily understand how to appreciate it. And the folks that I do see appreciating it more 
are the Asian communities and the Latin communities who I feel like haven't been targeted to stay off land. If anything, we see more Latin people working farm positions and not getting paid, but that's a whole nother story. And like Asian cultures are really good about passing on their family oral history and traditions and things I see, even in America, even when people want to forget where they've come from for American success, I still see that they will eat foods where they come from, that they'll still do some religious practices. And I see this neighborhood with all of these different people. There are Asian people, there are Latin people, white people in it, but mainly poor black people. And I see this free food right next to them and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to use the land. The kids don't really play on the farm as much as they should. And I think about myself, time warp back to being black in Germany. And all I do was run free, man. I would run free for hours, like for yeah. for so long to the point where like, I literally taught myself how to survive in wilderness because like, that's all I would do. And yeah. you know, when I see this now, I'm just like, there's something so huge that's not being talked about. That's really not being handled in like a very sensitive way that people have been purposely kind of like kept from something that they were brought to America to do. And instead, like now people look at them as like criminals or devious people or rappers or basketball or whatever it is. But it's like, what about all the stuff that we did in America that like helped create American foodways and just so much happiness and things like that. But I see this community where like once a month I make it a priority to feed this community for free and it's all farm to table, you know, like I really, there's this thing called outstanding in the field that they do in the fine dining thing. And like, I've done it a few times and honestly, like I thought it was fake as shit because it's like $200 tickets to go eat at a fancy white table in the middle of like a vineyard or someone's farm. And like, oh, yeah. and yeah, when I, I saw it, when I saw it, man, it was like garbage. It was like, these people literally are like using very minimal products off the farms that I saw. And then right. the people that were there, it was not diverse. It felt seriously close to plantation style, like style stuff. And um, being a black man in these settings, it was just so everything that's happened. It just keeps hitting me like, wake up, wake up, dude, wake up. Like you have to, you have to do something about all this stuff. So I don't know this small little plot of 65 vines coming to it. It's crazy that my father was a sharecropper. It's crazy that my like slave ancestors moved to Louisiana and bought land that to say this, like if a white young kid were to go back or a white 38 year old man were to go back to Louisiana and take that land over and turn it into a bed and breakfast with regenerative farming on it, with crab, with oysters, with shrimp, with the abundance of land, it would be something that would be in like a magazine. It'd be something that would be like Monocle magazine being like, look at what has been done. Look at like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, And I think about this, like how, how many people actually, how many people have that in them, but don't want to do it because they think farming's dirty or think land is dirty or also just need to make money and live in a city. Yeah. You know, and that's where I'm at right now. It's like, I'm trying to make this all click work, figure out how to actually do it, figure out how to actually do it to where I can make it something financially viable, but also um, try to like spread the message to everyone that maybe we can work together to try and like tell actual history, try and like 
share with everyone, you know, I've been trying to talk to people about like doing this kind of like reparations for the people, you know, like instead of like right now, reparations is something that a lot of people don't want to talk about and they think that it's unfair. Like, why should I have to be part of this if I wasn't alive back then? But it's like, if we think about it in all honesty, like the story I'm even telling right now wouldn't be happening if it was all fair. You know, if, if it, if it was like an equal society, like I wouldn't have slave ancestors. I wouldn't be talking yeah. about things like the great migration. I wouldn't be talking about projects. We'd be talking about housing. We'd just be talking about a neighborhood. So, you know, when I think about all this, I'm just like, how do I, how do I wake people up and let them know that I'm not mad, that I'm not like upset. I'm just more like confused that like people can honestly walk through their lives without actually like feeling that they're not part of a problem. So when I think about this Mm -hmm. reparations thing, I think about the city has like, uh, you know, stipends and people that figure out how to get money to do certain things to like, I guess, build communities back or like try and stop crime. And I think about like, well, why not creating a stipend that gives black people the, the empowerment to do their own reparations? We're like, say, doing one nice thing a month. And people are like, well, volunteering should be about coming from your heart. And it's like, yeah, that's the same as like doing harvests and doing apprenticeships and internships without getting paid. That seems very privileged and it doesn't seem real. That's like, <laughs> that doesn't, right. that doesn't make sense. You know, that's why a lot of people haven't gone to Europe and gone and woofed or done anything like that. It's like, not a lot of people have backup plans for where, I, where I'm from, you know? So yeah. it's, um, I think about it as like, how, how do we like let people know that maybe not everybody's in the same boat and that if we pay people to do like kind acts, maybe that'll start them on the, the path of doing more things for their own communities. You know what I mean? Like driving an old lady to her doctor's appointment, fixing somebody a meal. Like, I don't know. I just see that there's bigger ways that we can actually do all of this together. And so, I mean, I think like with what's going on with the grapes is just a vehicle really for talking about like a lot of the, uh, the sad things that are going on in our country, which is a really cool place. And it's really weird yeah. to see, like we're going into 2022, man. And like just last year we had people storming the Capitol doing <laughs> crazy yeah. shit. And it's just like, what are we doing? Like, dude, we have like literally so many cool cultures here. So many beautiful people so many like positive things we could do and there are so many kids just eating fast food junk not knowing where mushrooms come from not knowing how to actually eat off the land and there are still people alive that understand how to do it perfectly you know so what is going on where we don't understand you know like where wine is something that's like this thing that's so so big and so cool but so many people feel intimidated by it and it's like, it's literally just fermented grape juice and it's in a vessel. And if you care for it, right. And keep it clean enough, you can come out with an amazing product and you can share it with your friends and impress them. And like terroir and all these things are like things that the universe gave us. And like land is like, this is special for everyone. And it's sad if people only certain types of people get to enjoy it. You know, it's, it's really cool when I get to have these moments with the kids on the farm and they get to put vines in the ground or they get to eat a meal that we make from the farm and they're happy and they feel welcomed and they feel this whole part of like just community. And I think that's really what all I'm trying to do is like educate people on like entrepreneurship and community is the backbone to it. 
Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds... Well, first of all, I want to, I mean, <laughs> there are so many things that I want to ask you about now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Have you read the book or, or heard of the book, The Half Has Never Been Told? No, no. That sounds I, awesome. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's it's the history of slavery in America and how essentially it, it is the reason for America's, you know, quote unquote greatness, uh, you know, as a, a nation in terms of its economic success and its political success was built on slavery and uh and and it i mean it's just so foundational it's it's so foundational that i think to understand agriculture and how the kind of agriculture that is the dominant form of agriculture in our country is directly tied to that history uh i mean it is a direct outgrowth of that history it's not tied to it it, it is a continuation of that history well and, then, and it's oh, funny yeah. that you went yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, so when you say that, man, this is like one of the major things that always keeps popping up in my head is like, you know, Thomas Jefferson and Monticello being one of the largest slaveholding people in America, but also the godfather of wine, kind of, you know, like when I right, right. when I've reached out to Monticello and they tell me that no slaves were part of like the grape growing or wine making processes, that to me just doesn't seem feasible because he had like 400, <laughs> really? 400 acres planted and like... I'm really trying to figure that out. Like, I wish I could get when paid right now. Oh, man. Um, probably a year and a half ago, I got to talk to, like, Pat, the master gardener, who gave me records of, like, what the slaves were growing food-wise and stuff like that, like, crop rotation and stuff. But, like, but literally, man, they told me that, that it was the like, Italian indentured servants. And I'm like, dude, 400 uh, acres? 400 acres is a lot of land. And if you have black people already farming, doing everything else, right? I don't right. know about that. That seems kind of right. crazy. That seems like, right. uh, you know, how harvest looks to people that like for some of these fancy companies that pretend they don't have Latin workers picking like grapes or doing all the work, you know? Right. Right. The H- <laughs> H1B visas or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hear you. Um, anyway, that book, I, I can't recommend it enough. It really just, sort of blew my mind about American history in general. I mean, I don't think, I, I mean, I, it, it, it's anyway, I can't recommend it enough, but that, I love that. It, it's, it, I, it is not coincidental to me at all. Having read that, that you, when I asked this question, that got you started, went straight back to your, your ancestry and the, you know, the, the slaves that are part of your lineage. Um, because I think it, it, it absolutely, I mean, yeah, anyway, Sorry, read the book. It's, it's I recommend it to everybody who's an American, basically, um, or lives here. <laughs> it's trying to understand awesome. America. It, I mean, it really leads into the politics that we're talking about. I mean, we are like on the eve of this uh, attempted insurrection, and we're we're at a new year, and it is kind of a weird, reflective moment in my life, and and I feel in a lot of ways, you know, similar to you in the in the things that I'm thinking about and trying to do with with our project here in los angeles with our winery and with the wine and how the wine is just a a little you know a a window to these other opportunities or a doorway to these other opportunities that are really much more foundational and important um i mean it seems to me like you a big part of what you're doing with the 280 project is is to create a culture of compassion as a counterculture to this cult this you know the dominant culture that is so individualistic in in our that we live in here and I mean, you, you're talking about how it's, you know, just caring for people, like caring for the, the person who needs somebody to go get them groceries. It's there is there is something to that that is, 
I mean, it, it's a through line in everything that it seems like you're doing that, that compassion, that sense of just looking, paying attention to and being aware of the needs of everyone in the community. And, and I mean, everyone, not just, you know, your immediate community, but like the wider community that makes up the world that is, makes it possible for you to live. And, exactly. and, um, so I think it's a really beautiful thing. I, um, I guess one of the questions I have for you is in this context, I mean, it seems like you have a pretty big vision for what you want to do. And, and I know you're on this path to, to make some big, to make big things happen in a, in a, in one way or another. And I'd love you to go into detail about, you know, any specifics of that vision that you have, but more than that, I think you, you might be a couple steps ahead of me and beginning to see how you might get some of that big work done. Because I think that, to me, personally, and I imagine for a lot of people, is one of the most daunting thing about, or daunting things about being, wanting to see change, but not knowing how to initiate it because it's such big change that needs to happen. And we feel so powerless. We feel so, you know, uh, uh, un- ineffectual or limited in our effect that it's almost pointless to even begin something because what we can do is so small. And I'm wondering if you have any insight into, how, you know, how do we get walking down that path of, of making bigger change or affecting important, bigger visions in, in the world? Well, yeah, man, I think honestly, like you giving me this platform to be able to speak on, um, this is real. This is like awesome. This for me is like, I think the way that a lot of it's going to happen. And it's not just about talking and being listened to. It's like, I hope people really feel what I'm saying. And I hope that my friends understand it and they want to speak louder. And that just like people were doing on January 6th, we can do the same thing, but in a positive way. And that, um, you know, I respect like Mimi Castile so much. And I respect like, um, Ellen and a bunch of people that you had, Steve Mathiason, I think they're like people that are like really trying to help the world no matter what their skin color is and their focuses may all be different. But I think it's like that kind of idea that like we all have like a responsibility to make sure that this world is a better place for our kids in the future and everyone who's here, you know, whether you have kids or not, but just, you know, if, you know, I don't know what, everyone's religious things are or what they believe in. But like, if the universe picked you out of all things to be on this planet, wouldn't you think that that means that you have some kind of special time or reason? And why would you want to destroy this place where you get to wake up and breathe air and drink water and feel sun on your skin and eat food that grows out of the ground? You know, it's like, it's not that complicated of an idea. So like for me, I think what it is is about trying to, inspire people through showing them the work by creating this apprenticeship, making it a paid apprenticeship so it can get people in that can take time off from work, but still get paid to learn a skill, a resource that connects them back to the land that can be used in so many different ways. And, you know, I want it to be like this vertical integration where it literally is from the, like the ground up of like what the wine industry is. And, um, it, I actually was thinking about this, you know, is like you on one of your last calls was ta- you were talking about um, what was it contracts and and like uh, things like that not being personal. And I mm, thought about yes. it. 
and I thought about it and it, I thought about it and the man, I feel contracts are super personal for me <laughs> because I, I that. All right. yeah, well, yeah. I thought about it because I was like in the black community, we have like redlining, we have all these things that have been done that are contractual that aren't just like trustworthy things. When you think about how many black people have had their land stolen because they signed a piece of paper or did something wrong. It's not just negotiation. It is like life or death situations sometimes. And I feel like I'm in a life or death situation, even with it just being about grapes, because I'm like, I wake up not with stress, but with like this feeling of like, man, I just got to keep hitting these certain spots and marks to make sure that I can actually tell this message far enough for people to want to carry it with them also, you know, that we should all be helping each other out, that we should all be letting each other use their winemaking equipment, that we should really be figuring out plots of land in the corner of someone's acreage to just let someone else use. And those contracts should be fair and honest. You know, like I was in a racial lawsuit for probably like, 10 years ago and it still affects me to this day and the part that f's me up the most about it is the contracts my lawyers screwed me over and stole from me like they were supposed to help me receive money for being called you know the n-word by my boss in a horrible way multiple times and then they ended up stealing like almost two hundred thousand dollars from me and yeah anybody can go search this online like i'm still trying to figure out how to get that money back because then i'll buy land and i'll do all the shit that i'm talking about And it's, it's crazy. It's like, you know, telling these stories, people don't believe you, but it's like, dude, when you go through some of this hard stuff, when you're really trying to figure out how to like make the world a better place and some people can literally work remote or chill or do whatever, like, nah, man, I feel like I'm in the trenches as they would say. Like, I feel like I'm really trying to use my time on this earth to like start shit and make it good for people. And if people don't like it, I can't see anything wrong in what I'm doing. You know, I'm not being racist or being reverse racist or anything like I'm trying to repair some of the stuff that we know is actually bad and making it fair so other people can feel good again, you know, and that's all it is. So, you know, like that reparations idea is one idea. The 280 idea of connecting with people like Steve Mathiason with Beth Forrestrell at UC Davis, creating these connections, these partnerships. It feels like the civil rights movement in a lot of ways where it's like, man, you got to find your like your allies for real, because like these are going to be the people that we get to like have long standing family traditions with. We are the new traditions. You know, we get to create that. And like all of the apprentices, man, uh, one of my homies, Pascal, you know, who is part of it this year, he's moving to France. And, you know, we had like a really heart to heart conversation. And Pascal's like, Anytime you need to come out here, your family's welcome. And it's it's like that. You know what I mean? It's like being able to have love for people that then they want to give love back. And it's not just about resources or money or anything like that. It's about how do we actually take care of each other? And I think, you know, 280 Project is more thinking about it like information is power. And the wine world has been holding a lot of information in a way that like makes it seem like it's super scary or hard. And I just want to uncrack that because for me, it's about getting to financial literacy. It's about getting to the contracts of land and how it works. And I just ask anybody that's in a position of power to like give some of that away and like help other people get there. You know what I mean? There are people that have so much land, so many yeah. vines, and they don't 
do anything with them. They like, some people have it for ornamental reasons, you know, and it's like baby pet projects. But I know like personally a ton of people that want to actually be in farming while still living in the city and figure out how to make it work, you know? And like, and I think that's beautiful. And I think that like, like what Mimi was talking about, you know, is like having to make those personal choices is like, Am I doing it for winemaking reasons or am I going to try and save the planet for my kids? Or am I like, you know, it's like, it's crazy that we're in a position where we have to even choose that. So yeah. I think that like, for me, the 280 thing is like, how do we meet in the middle somewhere where we can give people skills back to at least, you know, get some land, hopefully try and figure out, you know, what to do. Like what could black interests on the land be? Like how can black people and indigenous people come together and, talk about the pain but also figure out how do we like monetize and create businesses around some of this pain maybe to like build back into the land you know what i mean like i really do like i think about the the museum of african diaspora here and how it's such a, a powerful building that's not being used and i think about having a black seed bank an indigenous seed bank there i think about having exhibits on black agriculture and and what's going on right now like even what we're talking about me being part of this exhibit 280 people being part of this exhibit all the BIPOC people that have come out in the last two three years having them in one space showing them agriculture in America the clan all that kind of stuff showing the great migration talking about food recipes Michael Twitty all these types of people uh you know what I mean like it, it really is powerful, man, where I think that, like, we're so distracted as a people and also so devastated that we don't realize that we're all doing powerful shit. And if we just came together, you know what I mean? Like, I think I think that's how it happens, man. We all need a TED talk. Like a lot of these young <laughs> a lot of these young black people that have trauma that are like very educated and very heart thoughtful, you know, like imagine what would happen if they got to tell their true stories on stage. And if they got to have more platforms like this to actually like speak, you know, cause yeah, it's powerful, man. When you, when you get to like tell people your story, cause you don't really do this at wine bars a lot of the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. People yeah. Will ask me, they'll ask me at wine <laughs> bars and it's like, do you have time to really sit and talk? Right, right, like, right. I have, I have 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, hey, I want to say thank you for uh, for being a, a, a contradictory voice to my my opinion expressed on the other episode. I appreciate that. I, that oh no, I was I, just I, listening. Yeah, no, but I I enjoy the your perspective. I mean, I, I I think it's really important to hear your perspective on that. I think it's absolutely oh, vital you. to balance what I said for sure. Um, and also, I mean, a lot of what you said, there's this through line, and and I wonder why it's so important why do you think it's so important to to reconnect to the land like what is that connection to the land that's so important well i mean if we're gonna be honest everybody came from the land at some point all of our families probably have stories of farming or food you know what i mean like it's and me specifically i really want to pay like some honor to my family that probably went through really horrible things and they don't talk about them. They won't talk about them. My grand, my, my father didn't tell me he was a sharecropper. It's his white girlfriend that told me 
And she told me like in secrecy, she was like, yo, you know, your dad was a sharecropper when he was like up to like 18 years old and joined the military. He would use an outhouse and go pick someone's cotton. And that's why he works so hard. My dad is like a nurse, owns a giant house in Antioch, has like five cars. It's crazy. But like he grows cannabis and he's got a green thumb and he grows food and he has a green thumb, but he won't talk about his sharecropping days and he won't talk about the land. But when I talk to him about the land and grapes and everything, man, I see that sparkle in his eyes. Yeah. And it's cool. And it's like actually like it's the kind of shit I really want to do in life. I want to I want to have friends that have land that care for it as stewards that just don't think about owning it like as forever investments and things like that. You know what I mean? We have to be able to think about it in different ways. And like, I'm trying to figure that out. You know what I mean? Like how do we do co-op stuff? How do we change the way that real estate works? And, you know, cause it is, it's sad to think that there's still indigenous people here that probably feel really like upset about people coming in and just wiping them out and forgetting who they are. And like, their cultural foodways have been stopped because of us coming in, building roads, covering up rivers, doing all these different things. And that's, that's not American history. That's like not good history, you know? So for me, I really feel like the land is something for everyone. And it's not just like white people going out and foraging mushrooms and like picking botanicals and stuff. It's like all of us should be able to do that, man. (laughs) Like slaves had to do that at one time when they ran away, you know what I mean? Like they had to like go eat off the land. And I think about this, Adam, I think about like, what was the first day of being freed from like emancipation proclamation? Like, what was that like? Where did those black people go when they were like booted off their plantations? Cause it wasn't like a nice, all right, see you later. Like that was cool working together. You know, like where did they go that first night? What did they eat? Who did they rely on? Who are the white people that were like, yeah, you can all come into my house, but be quiet because I don't want them to know that I'm taking care of you. This is dangerous. You know what I mean? And that's Mm. still going on now. You know what I mean? That's why I want us to get back to the land because I feel like we need peaceful settings and safe spaces for us all to come back to and eat good food and understand how to take care of animals, understand how to take care of the soil, understand how to take care of the waterways, you know what I mean? And be proud of it. And like, how cool would it be if we were in competition about how badass our land was rather than like how cool our car was? You know what I mean? Being like, nah, dude, I have the dopest land. Y'all are coming out here and we're going to kick it and we're going to, you're welcome all the time, but I guarantee I have tighter land than you do. <laughs> make farming competitive. Right. Yes. And make it, make it, make it positive. Make it, make it something, right. real. <laughs> make it something cool. 4-H for adults, man. I mean, there might be something to that, honestly. There is, like, I, I, I read a great book called uh, Reality is Broken, and it's written by a game designer. Um, and, and, you know, her her whole, you know, one of her perspectives is somebody, a game designer is going to win the Nobel Prize at some point in the near future because game, the the engineering of game design is so important to the way the human psyche works and how, and what motivates us to actually get big work done. And there may be something to that, like making, you know, I don't know, like make turning regenerative farming into some kind of, um, that, that could be the crossover that leads well, to the no guys that you were talking about. It's that reparations thing, man. You have to sometimes maybe incentivize people, mm-hmm. you know, to yeah. do better things. And like, I don't know, not everybody wants to hear that, but like, 
we know that we work as humans by receiving little gifts and little coupons and stuff and things like that. So that's right. Um, that's right. Can I can I make one other like a little uh, statement about like so we were talking about like ideas and Please. things that I have like um, there's yeah. this company Matterport out there that I've been trying to like connect with you know like so 3D technology company that does 3D mapping Facebook owns them now but like I reached out and it started getting into talks and then like their VP of technology just went cold. So it's like either you stole my ideas or something, but um, what <laughs> what I'm trying to do, man, is like I want to receive one of these 3D cameras from them so when I'm out in these vineyards, I can start mapping all of the vineyards. And I think, you know, what Carlos Mondavi, or his, he's doing with like a Monarch tractor, I think we could do the same thing similar with that kind of technology, with the LIDAR technology. But I think about going in these fields and being able to map all of the vineyards in California. And that's what I told him. I was like, I want to start in California and be able to map these because this is something that UC Davis can use. This is something that all of the apprentices can use. This is something that people in France can look at the 3D vineyards and actually walk around them and like click on vines and be like, oh, that has powdery mildew or this has that kind of like a uh, louse or whatever. You know what I mean? Like or yeah. just talking about climate, temperature, all these things. And I feel like, it's going to be financially cool for them, but for the wine community, it's also going to be really like awesome history and information. And it's world traveling for people that can't get on airplanes. You can go see world renowned vineyards with something like that. You know what I mean? You can learn about yeah. soil. You can meet their teams, like talk about rainfall, talk about, we can see what's happening with climate change from being able to pass these 3d cameras out and people just, start databasing this and in schools yeah. being able to use it and i don't know so i think about i think about stuff like that man like i really want to get into some of these bigger companies to do better things for the earth by using technology that's used for just doing dance videos and shit stuff like right. that you know TikTok <laughs> and all that kind of stuff and right. like, so but i also <laughs> I, shout out to my partner uh, Janea also for helping me make everything happen she watches our kids and uh super busy all the time too <laughs> well i mean you brought up social media I, I mean living in that area do you have any feelings about using social media i mean, I mean yeah any... yeah actually i was on a phone call the other day with matt niece and a um, friend maria and like you know she was telling me like yo dude you got to think about these approaches of like how we're going to release this wine and stuff like that uh, we're about to put out a collaborative wine from the land that we farm at Philoli, this beautiful hybrid garden and uh matt's been so generous to help me with this and bottle it and so we're gonna work on it together and he's gonna do proceeds to 280 and um i don't know in the conversation i literally was like i think for me using social media is like i'm gonna make a post about it and i'm gonna ask people to share the post and that's about it because i don't i don't I'm not an influencer and I know that I can be more on Instagram and like doing all that stuff. But like that takes me away from actually being engaged in wherever I'm at and doing, but I love videography and I love photography. It's just not, they don't always line up together when you're actually trying to be in, in the moment. Yeah. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm also, I'm not bad at writing. I don't like writing in social media form. <laughs> Like, I don't like, right. I don't like posts. <laughs> I don't like writing posts. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. I love stories. I like visual storytelling more than I like words. Mm. And I like this kind of storytelling, 
you yeah. know, podcasts are like my favorite photos and podcasts. Where so, yeah, if Me too. if social media <laughs> could figure out how to like uh, put your whole episodes behind a picture, I'd probably stare <laughs> at that picture for a long time. That would be fantastic. Um, yeah, I uh, I wanted to shout out to Matt Neese as well. He's he's the person who suggested I talk to you. I mean, I knew about the two eighty project. Um, and then Matt was like, well, you know, based on some stuff you've been posting, I think you really should have a conversation with Christopher. And that's uh, when I originally got in, t- in touch with you directly. So Matt, Matt is uh, he's definitely a real one. A, yeah, he's a real connector and doing good stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, what so is a as as a kind of maybe final question for you to just have something to to, you know, maybe do a send off. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is kind of like this. Will be kind of like a New Year's episode. Uh, it'll be, you know. I mean, we're going into the new year, so totally. Any any thoughts? Like, what have you learned in the past year? Where are you headed? You know, what, what are your aspirations? You know, what, what do you hope to see? Any? I'm definitely so. The things I've learned in this last year, like keep your friends close. And keep your enemies probably away from you, even though it's hard. Um, I've seen a lot of things where people have DBA'd and like done all these things to create other wine brands. And I've learned that people are definitely still trying to absorb a majority of the space in the wine industry, even though Black Lives Matter and all this BIPOC stuff's been talking about. Um, And I've learned that there are really good people of all cultures, colors, races, genders, sexual orientations, like that really care about each other. And it's finding those people and sticking with them and making sure that you, you provide them a safe space to be with you and that you are honest with them and that you, you create family, you know, you create love and you try and do the most that you can with the abilities that you have and helping others. Um, I've learned that, you know, people have always told me that you have to like, you know, the thing about putting the mask on or whatever, when you're on an airplane, so you can take care of yourself first. I Mm -hmm. get that, but I don't feel like we are in a place where I can do that. So I've learned to like be busy and keep it moving and care for others while I'm caring for myself. And I hope other people see me doing that. So they want to help me too. And we keep this cycle going where if we see someone struggling on the way up, even though they're trying to help the world, help them out, hook them up, do something that you know you can do for them. It doesn't have to be something where you're afraid of losing any kind of clout or your friends are going to judge you. Who gives a F about that? Like we should honestly like really be adults to show these young adults how to be. And I think it's about really showing the next generation, like this is yours. And you should take care of it better than our, like we've done. And you should be kinder to each other than we have. And you should like take over like the political government in other ways than just fighting and being mad. Like be smart, use your voices, use your minds, you know, use the land. It's your land. This is other people's land. This is people who were here before that still exist. Find them, find their stories, take care of them, make sure they're not forgotten. Do re- like research on history. Learn about other cultures besides yourself. It's like a beautiful feeling when you start understanding that you live in a melting pot and your melting pot can be as delicious as you want it to be, as many ingredients as you add to it. That's people. That's like other things. You know what I mean? Like try not to stay in bubbles. Like, And there's a lot of land out there. That's what I've learned. 
there's a lot of land out there. And I think we need to remember that Napa's not that far away. I always thought it was like hours away and super scary. And like Napa is like a 45 minute, it's this podcast. It's like, you can listen to this podcast on the way to Napa and, you know, so anybody that wants to get to Santa Cruz, Napa, all these places, like it's there. And what else have I learned? I've learned that like, uh, being a center of community and offering space to people is one of the best feelings in the world. I've learned so much from everyone that's been around me and selfishly, I can't wait to do it more. I just love learning from everyone and like getting to know everyone. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully down the line, we'll all want to be doing it. Yeah. I love that. Are there uh, resources that people can go to, to find more about what you're working on? Um, uh, project or, I think you could DM me right now. And then, like I said, we're getting a website built. And yeah, I mean, trying to trying to put it all together, you know. So Rita Manzana is a project manager. Um, so we're just trying to figure out how do we, how do we, I think once that website's built, that'll be a good place. But yeah, you can hit me on Instagram anytime. Or, um, and that's nah, at, I don't want my email. It, yeah. Is it? <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Is it the 280 project? Yeah, the 280 project, all spelled out in words. And right. um, yeah, so you know what I mean? If anybody has any land or wine making equipment, or if you're ever trying to help some people start a winery, or, you know, just help them out financially, I'm trying to continue this program forever so we can make it in a broad program so I can send BIPAC people, queer trans folks to like Europe, Asia, all over, everywhere there's grapes. I feel like we should be learning and being able to understand that culture's way of farming. And how can we bring that back? How can we understand regenerative agriculture in other people's lives? How do we all learn from each other? So yeah, if you know somebody at Matterport too, tell them to hit me. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. It's been great talking with you and getting to know you a little bit better i appreciate it oh man no, I, I appreciate you thank you so much man. Thank you.